0: Donning my robe and my wizard hat, along with my podcast partner here. It's V'ger, please. Have voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Boy, oh boy, Peter. This is, a, this is a very synergistic episode for you and I. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah. So robe and wizard hat, not your uh, knee-high jack boots and uh, whatever the wing pants are that the Nazis wore.
0: That Hugo Boss look, man. So sharp, yet so evil. Yeah. Been a while man good to hear you yes yeah, so good to hear you too i it won't feel like it's been a while for our viewers i think we probably only missed one week of uh, thanksgiving and that was i was ill but uh the we had a backlog that i guess we've worked our way through and now we're kind of like riding the edge again you have to to build up more episodes um but no interruption for our viewers because uh what are we watching
1: this week season four episode 18 Killing game
0: part one. So loyal viewer, listener of V'ger, please, that you are uh, out there in Internet land. You're about to shame us. You're about to shame us, aren't you? I'm going to. Yeah, you've heard through the years now. Peter and I allude to a shared hobby that we met through That Peter and I met through that we. Became friends through that. We actually did an original podcast about years and years and years ago. Everybody who's a good listener,
1: take your headphones off and hit just turn the radio off for the next 10 minutes.
0: Please. I bet you. And I, Peter and I are LARPers. Oh. Well, in, my, in my case, I, I was a LARPer. <laughs> I, I was unceremoniously kicked out of my uh, former LARPing club. That is a very long story. But for for a long time, that was our primary hobby. And of course, we were so into it. We did a podcast about that hobby and that group that was very popular with that group. I think they had more listeners than this, this podcast actually has now. And wouldn't you know it, things have come full circle. And here we are doing a Star Trek podcast about people LARPing and taking it way too far. And I, I fucking love this episode. I loved it not just for that synergy, but that it's like a great Trek premise, a great sci-fi premise. It's, It was fun and wacky as hell. And it, it, it does that rare Trek thing of not telling you too much and instead giving you, like, the cool shit instead. I enjoyed every second of this, and it is not uh, – uh, not just because I felt like at any time someone could bust out a, a little baggie and start throwing, uh, you know, little packets at someone yelling lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Uh, but that it was a great episode of Star Trek.
1: I did not enjoy it so much. What? I, I I'm sick and tired. Spoiler alert. I'm sick and tired of World War II. Oh, uh, come on, man. I, I am, man. Like. Saving Private Ryan and and like all that other stuff. Like this is a very '90s episode, and I think they really came in under, like I so said, the Saving Private Ryan resurgence of World War II movies, and it's just. I think that was after this, though, like significantly, wasn't it? A couple years.
0: I, I think so Saving Private Ryan was, came
1: out in like 1999, didn't it? You search that, and I will tell you that uh, Killing Game came out in. 1998 so it's the same cluster maybe, maybe private Ryan didn't launch this episode but there was a very heavy concentration of World War II material right at the tail end of the 90s okay and so
0: it also came out in 1998 there you go. Uh, although although I will say uh, that it appears that came out in July 1998 this came out in March so this was first. So it was before all of that stuff was really, you know, like resurgent. In the mainstream It's clearly before all the the video game related World War Two media, like I, I think Call of Duty and and uh, Medal of Honor and all those games didn't make an appearance until uh, until after Saving Private Ryan. Uh, but at the end of the day, here we are after all of that. And it's just it's a dead horse
1: that's been beaten and. I think there's a lot of cool stuff in this episode, but the meat and the potatoes of it is a World War II story. I just could not find myself giving shits about it. But we start this episode off with uh, with something very different than World War II. We see a female Klingon, and she's kicking ass. She's got two other Klingon goons trying to kill her in a very familiar cave. Yes, Beholding the cave
0: planet hell cave we've got a very uh made up uh kate Mulgrew slash Catherine janeway with a with a mere uh necklifth versus two klingons with batless i didn't Point even out. realize it
1: was janeway at first i just i was like oh this is different here's a klingon woman obviously this is some sort of holodeck adventure there wouldn't be klingons just chilling out in the delta quadrant and obviously it's the holodeck because this Lady just took a Batleth to the chest full force and it did nothing. So I don't know if uh, Batleths are supposed to be dull and with just with pointy parts or if the, I don't know if they're slashing or piercing weapons to use a more common vernacular. Can we can we
0: point out uh, for the record that the Batleth may be the worst designed and least practical melee weapon ever created in science fiction? Oh, uh, I don't know about that. There's got to be something. It's like really cool looking. And then you see how they're used in battle. And you're like, really, that seems terrible. It seems awkward and clumsy and very difficult to implement in a way that'll actually kill someone. Uh, I've always thought that the Batleth was dumb. And I loved that, particularly in DS9, Worf transitions to using the Mechleth, which is just like, you know, a wicked looking sword almost exclusively. It's much, much better. Well,
1: she seems to do pretty well for herself. She takes the two guys off and then all of a sudden we see a Hirogen show up. Uh, He's talking some mad shit. She's like, come get some. And he ends up shanking her. And as she goes down, he pulls out a Starfleet comm badge, calls into sickbay and says that he's got a medical emergency and that Janeway needs to be patched up. So uh,
0: a great detail of this episode is that. We are never told exactly what has happened. We merely, f- actually, we actually spend most of the episode just seeing the uh, the effects of what has occurred and are left to infer what happened. There is at I would say around the two thirds mark of essentially a recitation of facts, but not any details. But what has occurred, what we see, is that the Hirogen have shown up, they have run some kind of unspecified off-camera hot dick all over Voyager, and have taken over the the, the entire craft. They own it. Which, considering everything that we have seen over the the last four or five episodes, makes perfect sense! Very well-deserved. very, very well. very well deserved. You know, like it goes all the way back to to message in a bottle, and they're like hijacked the communication array, and like shocked them, and then they blew up the the communication array, and then sucked a bunch of their ships into a black hole and then fucked them over the space Mewtwo and then didn't get new weapons to fight them with because of the, uh, the unfortunate adventures of Seven of Nine in the episode we didn't review. Like, here they are. Here's the consequences of all of these actions. The Hirogen showed up and just just ran hot, hot dick all over them, and now they own the ship.
1: I don't think we've ever really taken the Hirogen serious. Uh, I know that during especially Prey, we do have some discussions, though, that the Herogen really are kind of the antithesis of the Federation. Uh, maybe not to such a colossal degree as the board, but you have this very, very technologically advanced society with no higher um, ideals or philanthropic pursuits, no prime directive, that they are using the full might of their technological superiority to sport kill. Torture and enslave, and despite the Federation, you know Janeway's best efforts to like try to play nice, and we're gonna save this guy's life, and and all the normal Federation stuff. Like they just don't care, and I don't think that again the the crew of voyagers ever really looked at these guys. I mean, like these dudes are fucking terrible. Like we thought that um having a brain fart, uh, super plague phage guys, the Vidians, right like they were like real nasty with the Deans, but at least at the end of the day, the Videans were doing vile ass shit because their faces were falling off and their entire society had been debased and, and dilapidated by a terrible plague, right? The Herogen just, they're decadent. I get, you know, they're, they're evil for the sport of it, not out of necessity.
0: They, they, they've evolved to being like this and they never explain why. Like we got the explanation of why the Vidians are organ thieves and awful. Uh, We never get the explanation of why the 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 Hirogen have wound up like this. There is a reason. It's just thousands of years in the past and none of the Hirogen know what it is anymore.
1: And to that point, neither does Voyager. And again, I don't think that Voyager really classifies them as the moral and and physical threat to them that they should have. And there's been plenty of opportunities. I guess it all boils down to a question of this big battle where the Hirogen show up and one up Voyager to the point where they board the ship. And as we'll find out, have enslaved the entire crew population. Like, do you think Janeway attempted to play the self-destruct angle?
0: I would assume that given, janeway's prediction for trying to blow the ship up when this kind of danger occurs that she probably tried we've seen in their prior encounters with the hirogen that they are technologically superior they're they're better fighters and that they likely overcame the ship by boarding action and therefore was able to disable this the self-destruct in some fashion we know Uh, canonically that they put people in
1: acid baths and slowly dissolve them. Like Janeway knows damn well what she's dealing with losing your crew to, to this kind of captors seems really out of place for her. And, and I want to jump back to what you were saying before, like this is a super torture camp that Voyager has turned into as we'll find out, like he oh, was yeah. being maimed and killed and brought near death over and over and over again and prop back up. So they could go back into these murder simulators over and over and over again. And look at the reasons why it's happened. Like you just talked about, like it really boils down in the end to the Herogens saying, give us species 8472, or we're gonna declare war on you and you're gonna find no peace. And everybody, especially J well, maybe not everybody, but you know, 709's like, listen, just hand this fucking terrible creature over that you allied with the Borg with. Like, that's how bad species eight four was. That you allied with the board, just hand it over to these fucking hunters and be done with it. And Janeway's like, no, I've got morals. And, uh, she has, she has brought this fate. She has dragged this fate to her crew, picked it up
0: and thrown it on them while they were sleeping. You're absolutely correct. I mean, if, if only the show was self-aware enough in its writing that they concluded that information at some point, like they seem to be wanting to draw that line, but, I think we both know that was not their intention. Their intention was not for where Janeway to be seen as incompetent and having des- somehow in some strange way deserved to have accidentally gotten her crew locked into a horrific torture chamber. But I, that's, an, I think, a valid interpretation of the facts, and, and particularly because you know we just kind of got off doing Prey it was the last episode we did a full last episode we did a full episode on. And in that, we were essentially dumbstruck at the idea that Janeway would in any way consider not turning this species 8472 over to the Hirogen, given how much she was hard in the paint to just kill the shit out of them with the Borg as a, a means to an end. But, of course, that isn't that isn't what they intended. What they intended to do was, was paint Janeway as this kotsman diplomat always trying to find a way to negotiate and all of that unfortunately she is negotiating with uh, people who are space nazis and uh, the writers wanted to draw that parallel so much they put them in ss uniforms that's not a joke there's been a lot uh, of people we've called space
1: nazis we've called the borg space nazis we've called the Vidian space nazis the Hirogen have settled the matter. The Hirogen are now officially space Nazis, and the only space Nazis because, like you just said, <laughs> they're
0: wearing the goddamn uniforms. Well, the Vidians were like Nazis in that classic—just they're evil and Nazi is a, essentially a cinnamon for that. The Borg, I think, were always just you know space cyborgs out to space just murder craminess. everybody. Uh, they're, yeah, they're they're, more be, they're, they're they're beyond Nazi. The, the Hirogen actually have that whole master race thing. I don't want to spoil too much, but like literally one of the holodeck Nazis in part two convinces one of the Hirogen of a whole bunch of Nazi propaganda. <laughs> like they go real hard at that comparison. And it's, of course, as we'll find out as the episode goes on, the Alpha Hirogen, I believe is named Carr, He is essentially not murdered all of the crew because he's got this sense that, you know, like the Herogen aren't going to be able to survive as the way that they are permanently and that they need to come to a new way to like satisfy their urge to hunt. But while still being able to build their society again and all that. But the rest of the Herogen are like master race motherfuckers. They straight up are. But that's not my favorite part of the episode. Peter. Oh, no. Oh no, my favorite part of the episode is how the herojin get like all manifest different LARPer tropes from this point forward. That's where the true joy lies, because what we find out is that, you know, they've built these these uh, super holodecks, right? They've they've enslaved the engineering crew led by a no fucks to give Harry Kim. Uh, Probably my favorite Harry Kim performance ever, aside from the shoot.
1: I mean, that that was my real takeaway out of this episode by the end, too, is you don't get a lot of time with Harry. But I found what was going on in the ship outside of the holodeck infinitely more interesting than what was happening on the holodeck itself.
0: It was the most take charge, kick ass. Fuck you, Harry Kim has ever been ever. And Harry Kim has had to escape from a cougar planet where they're trying to sex him to death. Harry Kim attempt to escape from an impenetrable prison that tries to drive you insane. And this is still the moment where he's like, Oh, go fuck yourself. You giant alien with your fucking Mr. Freeze Ray. Go ahead and fucking shoot me. I'll give no fucks whatsoever. You know, I, I loved it. Behind I loved the it. curtain.
1: Like, it's hilarious that you're saying this because on the, uh, the memory alpha. And I want to point out, you know, I read all the memory alpha entries for these things. Like, the deeper we've gotten into Voyager, the more and more meager the memory alpha uh, information has been. It's like, I don't know if the people who do the wikis for this thing just kind of are losing their steam as they go along, or if there's just not enough interesting information out there um, or source material to write on, but they've gotten thin in this episode in particular, there is a lot of info out there.
0: Oh yeah. It's a treasure trove.
1: And both the writing staff was just kind of like, yeah, we didn't care about Harry and uh, you know, we just, We needed somebody outside the holodeck and it ended up being him and we didn't care about him. And then Garrett Wang himself is like, I feel like I really missed out on a critical episode and I'm stanked that I didn't get it beyond there. It's like, again, I thought all the holodeck stuff was just kind of trite and stupid. And like the real story going on here is the skeleton crew leading the struggle on the outside. And I absolutely agree. This is the best performance we've seen out of Garrett Wang. This is the most mileage that, uh, harry kim has ever had to cover as a character in the in the show period and for him not to really be cognizant of that was was a real surprise
0: regardless they used him well and his limited screen time conveys a lot so that was well done but the the next uh the the super holodecks now have these 24-hour simulations where the crew have basically have mind jackers in them, so that they think that they're characters in the simulation, which is some fucked up like space horror shit if I've ever heard anything. Because it essentially strips them of their their i their personality, sort of, but also you know prevents them from forming memories. So they're characters in these simulations, but those characters reflect who they're what their personalities are. It's it's neat how they reflect that. I love but that. the the one they pick. As, of course, the Framing Devices we have already uh, mentioned is a World War II uh, simulation about a idyllic French town uh, that where the crew members are all members of the French resistance and the Hirogen are the actual literal Nazis dressed in their SS uniforms. And everything about, uh, you know, the resistance characters are all is all like tropes to the max. Uh, I love that Janeway is like the Humphrey Bogart with it's like Casablanca style, like bar dressed in like this white tux. She looked like a million bucks. Uh, Seven of nine is the uh, lounge singer. And that was actually apparently uh, um, Jerry Ryan singing. You know, pretty good singer for someone who doesn't sing. Yeah, it was a perfect
1: reason to have her on screen for what felt like about five minutes screaming, singing in a low cut dress while they focused on her chest it was excellent framing uh on behalf of the writers you really snuck it in well this time guys
0: yeah i will say that this was the this is the first time that that gratuitous let's show off jerry ryan's body shot didn't feel as gratuitous because it was it it fit the setting that they decided to go with the sets look great like the sets that they built for uh, the idyllic French town were extremely detailed. The costumes look great. Uh,
1: Again, I mean, that's not, and I I didn't read the entire wiki for it because it was so big, but like, I'm sure this is just like backlot shit they had laying around, especially before Saving Private. I wouldn't be surprised if parts of this weren't reused in some of the other World War II movies. Like. That could be, I mean, it's all paramount, right? You know, it's just stuff laying around, Nazi costumes laying around, you know, World War II era towns they had laying around. And and now we're telling the Star Trek story in it. (sighs) There's there's a level of Star Trek that I understand can only exist in comic books, video games and novels because it is so fantastic and so extreme sci fi that the budget just cannot exist in a television show for it. You know, instead of another World War Two story, what if the framing device on this was like some Earth World War Three setting or, you know, a uh, first contact war
0: with the Romulans or any of the I, other? I, I get your objection. I do. But at the same time, A, I love World War Two shit, so that doesn't bother me. I will eat this up anytime someone wants to give it to me. And then two, it connects with the audience in a way. Right. Because it plays into war movie tropes and things, that you don't know, so like when you see it on screen, you appreciate it more rather right? than it's like another sci fi premise. As deep trek nerds, I get where you're going of like, oh, it would have been cool to see this thing, this other piece of like lore slash history uh, rather than this thing I've seen before. But I like, you know, what they did for what it is. And they executed it really well. You have to admit, they executed it really well. Not just the production design, but like all of the the characters, you know, like all of the actors played their characters, but were also playing their normal characters as those characters. They got that line just right. And you kind of you felt it out even though they never told you that's what's going on. Yeah. Like Katrine was a lot like Janeway, but was definitely a little different, you know,
1: that sure. sort of thing. Janeway. Seven and Tuvok all had their underlying traits expressed through speech, if nothing else. You, you touched on it before, and and I thought one of the coolest parts of this episode what were the, um, the implants. So, again, the interesting part of the Hirogen is that they are this super advanced master race, right, that got so big that they were spanning in the entire quadrant
0: I have two quadrants. The, it went all the way. The, the communication array went all the way to the Alpha quadrant.
1: Right. Um. You know, the best guns, the best ships. Uh, their medical technology seems to be like super advanced. They they've got all this going for it, and all they do is just abuse the technology and bully smaller species. And there's such a shadow of whatever their former greatness used to be. I it I really enjoy them seeing having like this crazy hypertech and just using it for the most shallow of reasons. And like you said, the the implants that they're putting in people that allow them to basically turn into NPCs on the holodeck. Like what a really cool concept that was. Uh, again, I, I can't really say that I enjoyed the world war II framework of the episode, but everything else from a sci-fi angle, really cool. And I like when Star Trek is able to present a piece of technology that seems very fantastic yet completely plausible, you know, like, yeah, a piece of wetware that is going to fool you into playing the part perfectly and, and the memory blocks and everything else. And just just a, a pure living hell, if it were to be abused by people like the
0: Hirogen. And the idea that they were this race that fell from grace. No one knows why they don't know why, but they have this leftover technology that they don't like understand, but they like know how to use for this limited purpose. Like the communications array itself—that oh, is it ten thousand years old, right? So they're this decayed remain of something great, and they have this technology that they're able to use to exert their superiority in limited fashion. But as the alpha himself says, like, eventually this is gonna stop, and we're all gonna be gone. We're gonna all die, and our race don't know- won't live anymore because you know attrition's finally gonna fucking get us.
1: I liked his character a lot and I liked his speech and his motivations. I'll be interested to see in the second episode what he's really about. Like, right. Is there a merciful element to him? Because certainly if we were to look at everything that we know about the Herogen up to this point and all of the transgressions that Voyager has gone out of its way to inflict on the Herogen and really just antagonize the hell out of him, like, Yeah, you would think if they were able to board the ship that everybody would have been dipped in an acid bath by now and their bones would be hanging from (laughs) Hirogen uh, Haunted House ship interiors. But instead, it seems like the majority of the crew has been spared or not spared, has not been killed and is alive and and functioning in these holodecks. So is this car guy uh, extremely vindictive? And he knows that Voyager has been stunting on him on the Hirogin hard, And he's like, I'm going to torture these guys. Or is he kind of like this figure? Like, um, Oh, what the hell was his name? The Kremen, uh, scientist, anoraks, anoraks. Is he like anoraks that like, he's lost, like he's evil and he doesn't realize that he's
0: evil. Like, yeah, he's, this guy seemed much more like, uh, he had kind of an idea of what he was about. And, And and wasn't that he was evil for evil's sake or he 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 figured he at least figured out like man my race is not going to survive like this. Oh these Federation jabronis, they certainly got this cool holiday shit that we don't have. Maybe this is a way to like circumvent or like build a new like he's, Murder, he's masturbation. not a good he's not a good guy uh by any stretch of the imagination but he is definitely like got some forward thinking. Well only having seen the first part of this this two-parter
1: like like i said he could either be pure evil and he is intentionally trapping these people in repetitive death hell he could be secretly merciful like it seems like he's got some pretty advanced ideas and like maybe you don't really need to kill people maybe we don't need to be mass murdering marauding monsters of the delta quadrant we can just kill hologram people and and that could be enough um or it could just be like he's presents it to his subordinates pure research and that he wants the crew still alive so he can continue to explore the species to its full potential and basically take the good ideas and leave the bad stuff behind so he can try to grow the race. Uh, because I think his real fear, if, if I took his speech the right way, wasn't that the Herogen wouldn't be able to survive, that eventually they're going to kill everything around them and then they'll have nothing left. And that they need to move beyond simple murder pleasures.
0: I got the impression his fear was the more they murder everything in their immediate vicinity, the further out they're going to spread. And that is what's going to kill them, is that they'll eventually just because of attrition and being solitary and being too far apart will die. And that this is a way to bring everyone together is this this way to, like, get the hunt impulse out and then, oh, okay, we're all here we're getting that out of our system and now we can have a society again because we're all in the same place, you know, and can rebuild that. That seemed to be what I was thinking he was saying. I don't think he has any like impulse of like not murder. I think it's much more pragmatic, but I do like what he did with Kathy's office. You know, he strung up all his murder. His murder necks, you know, it has got his extra weapons on the walls and you know, it's got Lots his bones. Too, yeah, his bonesies.
1: I wonder it's if good. he's picked up a uh, an odd desire to have soup. If that's like a, a trait that the ready room bestows upon you
0: yeah, or coffee, you know, you never know. Uh, so we, we got away from my favorite part of the episode. We got went on a tangent. So when the Herojin show up in the World War II simulation, Carr is into it, right? Carr is he, he doesn't want his immersion broken. You know, like this is what Stevie says. Like, he's that LARPer. He's that LARPer. He wants everyone to stay IC, right? Everyone's got to stay in character. Man, after my own heart. You know, like nobody, no one breaks character. You know, like everybody, if you're, if you're in the, if you're in the, in the, in the LARP, you're, you're inhabiting the LARP. No, no breaking immersion. He's that guy. If you're in the in-character
1: area, in the holodeck, you better be acting in character. If you want to go be out of character, go to, go to the mess hall, go to the, the landing bay you know the the shuttle bay go to engineering there's there's plenty of places to go be oc but god damn it here you're in character
0: the other like two hirogen characters are not immersion larpers okay you got the the one guy who's i guess what we call him the second in command who's who's he's the metagamer okay so he doesn't want to be actually like playing the game for the sake of the simulation he just wants to win as quickly as possible and move on because he just wants to murder everybody yeah it's not a metagamer then he's just a power gamer no no he's a metagamer because he purposefully attacks the voyager crew in the simulation without cause because he knows they have to be critical characters that's metagaming that is absolutely metagaming he sees neelix he's like oh i'm gonna stop neelix because i know neelix is a dude and therefore, Neelix's character has to be important in some way. So, how then, are, like, you, there, how are you
1: this wrong? On it? Like that guy is just a power gamer who's down on some PvP and he just wants to get <laughs> chopped on. All right, If he was a he metagamer, does. if he was a metagamer, if he was a true cheater, he'd either have magic penciled like 622 points onto his sheet and like right. have a bazooka and,
0: and a phaser.
1: Right. Some dark turkey,
0: maybe. You never
1: know. <laughs> or he would have went into the source code or read the script on him and been like, oh, this is where they're meeting for their secret resistance meetings. And I'm just going to show up with a boot party out of nowhere and roll these fools or just directly confront Janeway and say, I know you're the rebel uh, leader and, and I'm going to drag you in like that's metagaming. And, you know, damn well, the difference between these two. I'm, I'm surprised I have to correct you on this, Joe. You've been out know, for babe. too I... long banning Getting
0: getting banned has <laughs> just rotted. <laughs> it's it's immediately all this knowledge just left my brain. I think you're right. I think I'm going to amend my. I know my I'm statement. right. I've spent decades accusing people of these things. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. This is not a meta gamer. This is a power gamer because he purposely does the worst thing, but within the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, I, I, okay. Um. Point noted. My apologies. Uh, you know, he did not add 600 points to his sheet so that he could, you know, suddenly just like drop a thaumaturgy bomb on Neelix or whatever of some kind. No, no, he, uh, you know, he, he played by the rules. He just he isn't into his character, right? Like he, he he's he got like a background. It's probably like a paragraph long, if that. Or he maybe never even came up with one. He's just like Bob the fucking Bruja. You know, he's just like Most whatever. My parents
1: right. died and I studied karate. And I also am a gun ninja because I watched uh, <laughs> Equilibrium. Like,
0: yeah, it, it it it's perfect. back on Black Blade. he Deal dual wields katanas. He bought Potence and Celerity right away. If he was a meta gamer, when he
1: jumped Neelix out in the street, and Neelix was like, "Like, what do you got there?" and he'd be like, "Oh, just the essentials of life." He'd be like, "Why don't you peel the label off of that wine bottle and show it to me?" And Neelix would be like, "You motherfucker! You cheater! You cheater!" <laughs> Call the story You only know whatever. that because you're you're friends with the game master. You read the you read the the campaign module. I remember when I was in I don't know, Jesus junior high. My buddy was running a Palladium campaign, and you know, mm-hmm. bike campaigning. The first time we played, when we spent the whole day making our sheets, and then we sat down to play. As, as
0: you do with every tabletop, every first session is just making a character, and it's if you can get through that, if you, this, is, this is the game actually. Happening.
1: It was terrible. Nobody was really having fun. Uh, my friend Colin got up to go. He he was the game master. He got up to go pee or something, and Jim my buddy just picks up the book <laughs> just picks up the fucking like campaign module starts reading it Colin <laughs> <Tom laughs> comes back in and he's like, all right, so what do you guys do? And he's like, uh, I go back to rooms and I check the rock in the back left corner. And I, I see if there's a key. There. <laughs> it's like the most blatant fucking thing. And my friend gets like furious and, and everyone's just kind of like, jim you're a real asshole but man none of us really like no one here wants to play anymore so we didn't win we didn't lose like you just really pissed the gm off who's been trying to run this goddamn game and it's over so like i guess the ends justify the means like we're done but
0: we're free we're
1: free Some real egregious shit here <laughs> that's metagaming uh, and that's what that I, I, guy would have done to Neelix, I think. Instead, he was just like, hey, listen, man, I got a gun. You don't got a gun. I fucking hate space cats. So uh, you're going to get a nice trip to sick bay and lit his ass up.
0: Yeah, so there's a shootout and and then uh, Seven of Nines character shows up and shoots back and then they both just get shot. Uh, apparently Seven of Nine almost gets shot in the head. Uh, there's a fun, moment where he's like, avoid the cranium, <laughs> like, don't shoot him in the head. We can't use him again later. So big and, picture uh, here. And, and this is what I think is really cool. Like you
1: said, the engineering crew uh, led by Harry Kim is keeping the ship functional. Everybody else is pushed into this holodeck murder, you know, meat grinder and the doctor is like running around the clock trying to triage people so no one dies so they can go back in. And we haven't really discussed uh, Voyager bingo, and I don't have my bingo card close by, but this really brings up like a hard point. Like at what point does the doctor's software say like, am I saving this patient's life or am I just sending people back in to be accosted and harmed more until... Eventually, everybody is going to die, anyways. The doctor yeah, they, gets. Some... They, they,
0: they say this has gone on for almost three weeks. It was nineteen days that it's basically just been murder simulator after murder simulator, where they're like patching up like these traumatic injuries that the crew members are getting over and over and over
1: again. There's another herojin medic or doctor or something also kind of keeping an eye on what the doctors, the EMH, is doing. Uh, And helping out here and there and doing so poorly as he's like just making things worse in some case. I guess I'd make a bigger deal out of like, should the doctor be playing along with this game or just letting people die or doing something to end their suffering? Except for the fact this is ship. uh, This is ship invasion number, what, four or five for him? Like at this point, he has been around the block several times. He knows his way around an invasion uh and i would say it makes sense for him to keep people alive as best he can because he knows you know th- something is going to happen to tip the favor to the humans
0: yeah i mean he's a veteran he knows there's a way to deal with this and eventually some of the crew members are going to enlist him as their che guevara and you know <laughs> help take the ship back which is exactly what happens uh, switch over to say- We forgot about one of the uh, characters in simulation, Uh, Belana. Belana. So, in my favorite, just just little cherry on top, Belana's character is a French woman who is pregnant. So that Belana Torres can be uh, so that uh, Roxanne Dawson can be pregnant on screen, (laughs) and then it's okay. Uh, But specifically, her character is pregnant by a not like some SS captain you know like so she's uh sleeping with the enemy now she's doing it for the resistance but like she got knocked up on accident as part of it and like she like these two french women come by on one scene when she's like going into nazi headquarters to like scout it out as part of the simulation in
1: the german version of this episode one of the two women on the street offends balana torres uh, by saying Nazi Flitchen, which is Nazi slut. Whereas in the original version, the woman says collabo, Nazi collaborator in French before spitting in front of Torres.
0: So uh, you brought up the exact thing I was going to bring up. Bolana Torres in this episode is, by the production itself, a Nazi slut. So, so here you- we are again, poor Bolana being the sexual object. <laughs> Do you think her baby bump is a
1: holographic augmentation?
0: I mean, in canon for this episode, it is. Yes. You don't think it's like uh,
1: some sort of prosthetic that got added outside the holodeck?
0: No, I think that it was probably it's probably a force field situation. So let's play. What if like
1: if you can be a lady and have a holographic baby bump put on you? I mean, they really downplay the fun of the holodeck, Be like, fuck it. I want to be the Hulk. Make make me eight feet tall and a big green guy, and I'm just going to rampage through a fucking city or make me shaft or make me something drastically different than what I actually look like. And again, you know, TV constraints for budget and whatnot. But like, what what a device, what a wonderful toy that holodeck would be to have in real world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that in canons, the holodex probably perfectly capable of superhero fantasy i would imagine that if they they had more competent trek on screen right now in an era that had holodex that was you know not going to be picard which is going to be you know i think terrible um you'd probably see that and and i guess they kind of hinted that stuff in uh in the orville yeah um the other part about Belana is
1: her wig and I thought seeing her hair done up like that, and like the hairline and the prosthetic piece on her face, and like again, I think having her hair up lets her do a little bit more facial acting. And it, that was kind of a, a really cool change up to see her with a period-appropriate hairdo instead of the standard Balana haircut.
0: Uh, I did. I liked it too. So,
1: so back to Harry Kim, who is running this beat-up and abused engineering staff. Um, part of Carr's plan is he wants to continue exploring the the potential ability of the holodeck to facilitate whatever his plan is for his species, for the Herogen. Uh, and to that end, he has been ordering the, the Starfleet personnel outside the holodeck to expand the borders of the holodeck. And this is where I think the episode is really cool. Cause we've talked a lot about like why, if you've got the power of the holodeck, why have parts of the ship that are anything but holodeck make every deck holodeck. And it can be a bedroom right now, and then in five minutes it can be a mess hall, and then it can be a duty station or rec center or a cargo bay or whatever you need. Why have anything real? Just make it all holodeck. And that's basically what he's doing where they're just knocking down walls and floors and just making a instead of a deck like a hollow cavern. And at one point, Harry Kim's like, listen, I can't go any further in this. And there's a cool part of, I think, continuity error uh, because he's like, holodecks require tremendous amounts of power uh taking any more power to the holodecks would mean costing critical ships uh, systems and like early in season one i think the first or second episode of voyager we find out that the holodecks which are completely luxury items are allowed to exist while uh voyagers in this emergency circumstance because whatever they run on is a power signature unique to only the holodecks that is completely incompatible with the rest of the sh- system. So, they will allow this this pleasure luxury item to continue operating because there's nothing else that you would be able to do
0: with this power currency. The they explain enough of like what it's doing to the ship and how disastrous this retrofitting is to satisfy that. So. In that respect, I kind of like the where they kind of left that discussion. You know, I don't need a ton of detail as to why this is becoming, more, you know, more and more untenable or difficult to do. They, well, they establish don't... enough of that for me. Carr's response to that is uh, keep
1: pushing, making the holodeck bigger. And I'm going to hook you up with some like better. Yeah, tech. And Get some
0: extra like some extra like bootleg batteries so that you can, you know, push it even further. But I know Uh, the answer, but I'll be curious to see if
1: the Hirogen tech they're now acquiring to make these holodecks better is going to be something like Voyager gets to add to the war chest
0: for the effort to get home in the end. Oh, they do something interesting at the end of all this. It may not be what you expect. So Um, the 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 work of of Harry Kim to to do this, notwithstanding, he's clearly got an eye on trying to free all of his friends and he uh, eventually uh, enlists the doctor in a plan to disable the the uh, neural uh, Interfaces. devices that all of the crew members that are in the simulations are forced to wear. And they immediately hit on the fact that mm, probably the first person that we should do this to is the Borg lady, since she's already a cyborg. And she'll probably be the person that we have the best opportunity of remotely disabling it uh, she also yeah. has
1: the most experience being able to break the fantasy and see reality. This is like the third time she's been used in this capacity. Uh, at, at least when there was the space elf Doctor Mangala's that were experimenting, um, and the doctor adjusted her optic sensor to be able to see him. And she, I don't remember what she tried to. She tried to pull some shit in engineering, and and Tuvok got the phase around her, but. This is old hat for her as well at this point.
0: Yeah, she she is always uh, uh, ready to be the MacGuffin, the technological MacGuffin for the episode. But at least it, they don't harp on it too much. They're just okay. Well, let's uh, start with the cyborg lady and work our way down. Uh,
1: you know what I thought the neural interfaces really reminded me of in the end. And do you remember Batman the animated series, the Mad Hatter? Yes
0: yes the hatter cards yes the
1: hatter cards he put on people and it forced them to play a role I, that's that was a really strong uh parallel for me in that and that's again a simple technology but a scary technology
0: so uh, eventually the doctor is able to communicate with seven briefly while the Herogen minder is away and explain like here's a very brief explanation of what happened um this has been going on for 19 days. We got a plan. This is what's going to happen. You're going to get in back into the simulation. Then suddenly you're going to like be out of it. But you're going to still be in there. and You're going to have to wing it on uh, playing along until you can get to an interface within the holodeck that's going to allow for us to start turning off some of these neural interfaces. Specifically, they want to turn off the captains uh, first. And... Uh, you know, she agrees the discussion they have is very no nonsense and and quick. I appreciated the. That scene that she like the two of them have They're kind of whispering and the doctors just kind of laying out the facts the way that the Che Guevara uh, esque uh, <laughs> secret agent he is, you know, He's giving like, his uh, orders. Like We're just going to have to you're just going to have to do this. Like, sorry, work it out.
1: Forgive me for a second. It's been two days since we've been boarded. Let me consult my emergency uh, enemy forces invasion flow chart here. Ah, yes, right. Uh, To train my pawn. A a big part of the story, too, is with the expansion of the holodeck, uh, installing hollow emitter sensors throughout the ship at large. Uh, and this is what allows Harry Kim to summon the doctor out into hallways so they can start laying the the groundwork for this plan. I find it funny that the hollow emitters, which have been attempted previously and, you know, not Kim and B'Elanna, B'Elanna and Kim together were not able to get this thing up and running. The last time I think they tried to do it was back in uh, the, uh, the dream hell. Uh, kesco's super sane and throws acid on the guy's face evil q like entity that you know it was all a hallucination remember yeah yeah that? no
0: i remember that I mean, oh, God. I
1: persistence of vision
0: is that the one where kes like basically has to use her psychic powers to just like crush him and then he just is like i just did it because i'm a fucking asshole goodbye yeah.
1: fuck you i'm gonna i'll be back later motherfuckers one of the one of the many terrors of the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, it's the one that starts off with uh, Janeway on the holodeck with her bodice ripper. Mom's in the attic thinking she's going crazy because she sees the teacup from her holo novel on the. Hol- on, uh, and, and again, I think they did a good job of misdirection that episode being like, oh, no, it's just a glitch. The new holo emitters they installed everywhere are fucking up. They, they scrap that whole project. And yet here Kim is and he gets the whole system up and running great. But. They've got these hollow emitters set up out in the hallways and other parts of the ship, which I think is probably going to pay off later on the second episode when like holodeck characters start spilling out into the wild. But like, again, the doctor, as he's trying to prep uh, 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 seven and nine on this, like we know what a holodeck character can do when they get pissed off from the aliens episode. You just reach into someone's chest and burst their heart all the stuff we already talked about during the um, message in a bottle episode when he's on the ship with Andy Dick, like doctor, you can kill a lot of people if you want. If uh, you've got free access to roam the hallways and and go buck wild, like, you know what you have to do, dude, just go T-1000, turn your hands into
0: knives and get going. (laughs) I I like the idea of him like just running down the hallway with the, with the knife for hands, just killing
1: Hirogen left and right. But, Again, it, or even with his fucking hollow emitter, man. Like as we saw at the uh, the second part of uh, Future's End, which is when uh, Voyager goes back to Earth with Captain Caveman to go fight Ed Bakley Jr. Shuttlecraft <laughs> <laughs> crashes, and uh, I think it's Chicote and Tuvok, or I, don't, maybe, I think it's yeah, Chicote gets stuck by the like rape hillbillies, and then Tuvok rescues him with the EMH, and they just. They give the EMH a phaser and he just like one man Terminator is the entire Freeman camp of uh of psychobillies, billies and, you know, rolls up on Chakotay like, oh, hello, I'm here, I'm fine. And everybody shot at me and I'm just a terrible ghost with energy weapons like he is as well within his ability
0: to fight back. And, and if they had a line of dialogue where they're like, they've basically threatened to kill a bunch of the crew that they have in lock and key, if I do that. If I attempt to like actively try and free everyone or something like that, there would be a, an explanation for why he doesn't terminate people. But they just don't, which is here's which the explanation
1: the you need is that the doctor enjoys this shit. He enjoys being the uh, the colonel to some solid snake of some sorts. <laughs> The
0: it's string. his fetish. He's like, yes, take over the ship so I can find hey. a member of the crew and turn him into a hard ass that murders
1: people. Tuvok likes strangling Neelix. Harry Kim likes uh, whatever necro fetish she's into. I, I forget what our, <laughs> our end decision was on that. Like, you know, these people got their kinks. Gosh, I get, you know, the, the missed opportunity here is that they picked the World War II scenario. Oh, God. Had they picked the... Uh, Battle of Wolf three
0: five nine.
1: Well known. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk one about they
0: want to do. <laughs> well,
1: what what I wanted to say was uh, the um, the murder the coworker murder simulator that that Seska and Tuvok made. We could have gotten Seska out working with the Hirogen.
0: Another Ooh. escape opportunity. God damn it! So good. Um, oh, by the way, here's a a you know obligatory mention. Uh, this is a space jail episode.
1: <laughs> we haven't played the sound effect in a long time, man. It makes me sad. You got to keep that thing queued up. That's that is the number one trope. Um, So, yeah, there's, there's this big monologue that Carr has. We talked about it already where he's got a doubting Thomas subordinate, like, you know, uh, basically like you're off your rocker. We should have killed these guys and moved on. You're like, edging all of us we've all got blue balls we just want to kill these people take our trophies and get the fuck out of here and said you got us killing holograms and like you know dry humping it like let us move on he's like no i got these grandiose plans we need to we need to get the band back together and and rebuild our empire and we can't do that if we're chasing every little fucking field mouse out to the far corners of the galaxy And then he says, uh, once we finish up this World War II plan, we're going to go after this other bloodbath called Wolf 359. And he pulls up schematics of the Borg. And there's no indication one way or the other if the Hirogen know what the Borg are.
0: I'm surprised. Like, I would have thought. I would have thought for sure the Hirogen might know about the Borg. I think we heard earlier. I don't know if it was in the episode directly after message in a bottle or pray where seven of nine didn't know anything about the Hirogen. Good point. So I guess like we know the Borg didn't know about them. I, I suppose that does stand to reason that, the, that, that would definitely go both ways. I guess I just presumed due to how much they travel, they would have heard of them from someone, but they're not much for talking. So if someone had heard about it, they probably just murdered them, then boiled them into a stew. So, uh, yeah. OK, now that checks out. Now I talked through that. OK,
1: so we got plot holes now. Like, let's do some Delta Quadrant geography real quick. Uh, in the middle of I'm well, not even the middle. At the beginning of Borg territory, uh, we had the species 8472 incident which results in the end with kes going super saiyan transcending into demigod and flinging voyager 10 years ahead on its jo- voyage which puts them significantly outside of borg space right right so i guess there's a a geographic buffer there that gives reason for the Herogen not to have direct contact and we could also say maybe when they're in trans warp the Borg aren't aware of their surroundings or something, because I would have to think if they found the Herogen, that'd really be a jackpot of like baller ass technology to
0: assimilate, especially that communication. Or just like really cool drones, right? Like, Oh, check out these big show motherfuckers. Let's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's get them into some cyborg implants and have them out there, man. More than so, these dudes, the merrier. Take
1: the threat that eight, four, seven, two was supposed to be. And it's someone who could outgun the Borg. I think the Hirogen really would have been a better substitute for that that bad guy, cool guy status than boring ass space insects from fluidic space. But whatever, I it was it was a cool illusion and interesting to think about. Like, how could anybody not know what the Borg is in the Delta Quadrant? And I, yeah, like you said, I, I think eating people before they had a chance to tell you anything uh, is a great reason. Although, again we're seeing discrepancies like in the earlier Herogen episodes, they didn't really seem interested in talking. Uh, the other Ascension species were like insects to them and, and they just merrily moved along. But then you got this car guy that's like, and his, his little coterie uh, of people like, no, you need to fully understand and study and know your enemy and, and assume nothing uh, to be the best hunter. Because as soon as you think you're better for no specific reason and you discredit your prey, then you become weak and you die.
0: So the episode ends with the Americans showing up in the simulation. We finally get to see Tom and, and uh, Chicote at this juncture. This is where they show up because they're the American GIs. And they staged the, the simulated attack on Nazi headquarters. It's important to note
1: real quick that all of the safeguards are off to a degree that we have never seen before
0: seven of nine is successful in disabling Janeway's neural, uh, transceiver right before Janeway assassinates her in the, uh, actual simulation for acting weird and could be a German plant. The fact that of course, like it parallels everything we've seen with Janeway, not being particularly trusting of seven of nine, you know, the characters that didn't trust each other in this simulation, which was neat. And, uh, they have to do the cool guy running away from the exploding building trope, as the uh, Americans blow up Nazi headquarters. It's uh, you artillery know artillery strikes. Uh, it's a big old green screen explosion, <laughs> classic '90s CGI. Uh, but because all of the safeties are super duper off, that means it's a real explosion that really tears a giant hole in the holodeck going three uh, decks high. And so it a neat, it's a neat effect because we see this hole in the holomatrix, matrix and we see the decks like individually, like halls and we can see how tall uh, the holodeck is. And uh, yeah, like it's uh, it's interpreted by the holodeck characters as being a quote unquote secret Nazi bunker. So like, the, the, the tease for the next episode is that the American GIs are going to invade Voyager with their M1 Garons to, to try and take them down some Nazi aliens.
1: This is one of the coolest things I've seen in Star Trek. Um, the, the damage to the outer holodeck wall and the hull breach, not hull breach, but the, the wall breach into Voyager and being able to see an actual cross section. I'm curious if and we've counted before, like I don't think the holodeck can be more than two stories top. So them having four stories exposed here, this has to be due to the augmentations that Carr has been pushing on the engineering team to expand the borders of the holodeck. But it's just fucking cool. And like the idea of a bunch of holodeck characters spilling out into the hallways where all of these hollow emitters have been installed now and going ape shit in a holographic fueled like AI apocalypse uh, is really fucking cool. It's something I've been looking forward. Not, I, I didn't know this was going to happen, but something we've talked about before. We just talked about, you know, the doctor could just walk around in the T-1000 knife hand people. Uh, you could have had hologram security all over the place. And, and that's what you're about to have. Uh, World War Two, American soldiers with rifles gunning down dudes in the hallway.
0: I'm pumped. Oh, it's uh, it's going to get real interesting. Uh, they did tease, of course, also that there's a Klingon simulation where uh, Neelix got transferred over to after his French baker kind of got wasted <laughs> in the street. And uh, he's uh, he's leading his band of Klingons. So uh, if you think that there's more to to come on here, you would be right. This is going to get real weird real fast but that's where they leave it. It's a good episode. I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. I fucking loved it. I loved the World War II shit. I loved how detailed it was. I loved the way that they played the characters as the characters they generally play, but a little different. Uh, I I enjoyed the premise tremendously, and uh, it's just wacky as fuck, but still, like, good Star Trek. Fun Star Trek. Lots to
1: like in this episode, and... The Hirogen, which have been, by and large, I think, a disappointment. You know, you, you get a couple, you get one or two good, good actors in there. And I think it really starts pulling a bad villain species out of the gutter. And and that's what I think we got going on here with Carr in this episode. So uh,
0: well, fun and, stuff. And remember, everybody, if you're going to LARP, be the immersion guy. Don't be the power gamer guy. No one likes the power gamer guy. No one likes that. You know, the one that just wants to start combat all the time. You know, like you think you're cool, like wasting people and having a good time. And you having like a, a coterie <laughs> of ne'er well <laughs> friends, kinda you know, a critical shit everyone. is coming out of your mouth right now. <laughs> you big. <laughs> be a sensitive role player that wants to get that immersion. That's clearly where the, the real fucking LARP action's at. Trust me. I know. I know these things.
1: All right, man. Uh, from here, obviously, we're going to be going into... my little picture. Uh, season 4, Episode 19, The Killing Game, Part 2. We've got uh, Klingon Neelix and the Doctor standing in planet hell. Janeway and the crew must retake Voyager from the Herogens. Well, duh.
0: Well, Yes. <laughs> I mean, um, for once, they didn't blow it for you. How about that, huh? <laughs> they didn't blow it for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I, I'm curious to see where they go with technology I've always wanted to see.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think they set up really nicely the thing that I, I knew you would appreciate about the episode, which is holodeck shit gone mad but at the same time explaining why it can't always happen i.e. like the ship has been basically technologically stripped to allow this to occur and therefore this will be wackiness that occurs one time only it's perfect and we will enjoy that wackiness with you next week see you then